No, no, indeed. You're missing the best part, Mr. Mason. When you're eating the flesh from the pig, look into his little beady eyes. That way, you will be devouring his soul. Doc, sometimes you even scare me. Folks, and welcome to the Sun Beef Podcast. I have one of your hosts, Gary L. With me, with me tonight is uh, Suzanne. How are you? I'm good. Trying to enjoy the end of the summer. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, buying my time. It's supposed to be the '70s this weekend. So what? What? Ooh. Yeah, I got so much going on, and Pat wants to go to the Ren Fair on Sunday. So let the '70s hang on. <laughs> Should be a nice day. And also with us, uh, Iris is here. How you doing? Hello, hello. How's it going, y'all? I bet it sounds so underwhelming while Iris is here. That's such, such horseshit. I'm sorry. You know. <laughs> I'm glad all of my beef ladies are here. It's, it's, it's awesome. Uh, yeah, we'll start the show the same way we always start the show. And I'll ask Iris what she's been watching lately. Well, I just watched this movie and... Uh... It looked interesting. I thought it was something else. It's called uh, Night Skies. And it's about this RV full of young people, Nevada, aliens, very formulaic. Is um, this found footage? No, thank God it's not. I thought it was found footage. I was very, very surprised. I thought it was going to be some found footage, but it ended up not being that. Um, because most, you know, most alien movies are. Um, but it was kind of, it, it was interesting. Like I said, it was formulaic. It was like, eh, you know, something to pass the time, but it was just to the point where, um, Lynn was sitting out there with me and I was watching it while I was watching it and it was getting, you know, you could hear the music and stuff and I go jump scare and boom, just as I was saying it, you know, alien shows up, boo. And Lynn's like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> she walks away. <laughs> she's like, she's like, why do you watch this stuff? You know what's gonna happen. I go, hoping to be surprised. I guess I don't know. But besides that, just you know, um, been watching the the British. God, I love that show. And we're going through the whole six, seven seasons or whatever they have. That's fun. And uh, besides that, uh, just working. <laughs> Busy, busy gal. Mm. Have you watched Sugar Rush? No, I have not. What is that? It sounds interesting. It's, I guess it's a dessert-making show on Netflix. It's oh. fun. It's, some of the people are really talented, and I do love Nailed It, just because I would be the person with trying to do the Pinterest stuff, and it would look like 
you know, someone's a burning soul. <laughs> oh, I have to check that out. It's I really enjoy it. Hmm, okay, well, thanks, Suzanne. You're welcome, Iris. What you been watching, Suzanne? Well, I binged Mindhunter Friday and Saturday. I promised myself. Oh my god, I have to do that. Oh my god, it's so so good this year. Ah! I'm, I'm not. I'm. I'm not going to say very much. It's just. It's really really good. There's just one trope that's followed through into season two that I'm really not happy with, but the show is fucking amazing, and I will nice. deal with this one little stupid thing. Sweet. So I can't really talk about the show, and I won't talk about the show, but I've been watching that. And me, Gary, and Willis kind of Skype while we were watching the zombie tidal wave. So that's true. And it was. It it was. I was amused. Okay. I just, it, it was terrible. Completely it terrible. It delivers everything it promises, though. It does that. Uh... I mean, it was like chunky blood. I'm like, oh my God. When someone's head got smashed, I'm like, there's chunky blooded brain matter. Cool. Nice. Surprise me. Great great practicals in that movie. And I was very surprised how many practical effects were in that movie. There are a lot of nods to Fulci, obviously. And it was was just, it it was fun. That's a movie you invite 30 of your closest friends over and... You know, some Everclear punch. It's fun. And let's see. What else other than the shows I was telling Iris about? Uh, rewatching The League again, because that always makes me laugh. And that's about it. Yeah, I, I've been watching some stuff. Uh, one second, sorry. Not coming out. <laughs> um, yeah, I've been watching some stuff. I while uh, well... I was ever in death segment where we lost a certain person, and I'll do that later on. But I watched The Wild Angels because of it, and uh, I haven't seen it in a very long time, and it's still pretty goddamn good. Um, I rewatched. I, I before we were doing the show, I, re- I rewatched most of Thief with the great James Caan and directed by Michael Mann, and that sweet, sweet Tangerine Dream score. Uh, yes. It speaks, oh, yes. it speaks for itself, people. If you haven't seen Thief, uh, one day we'll cover it, and I think you'll love it, too. Um, other stuff. Oh, I've been watching The Boys on Amazon Prime, and that show, if you want to see it's it's really good. It's 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 visceral. It's it's funny in parts. If you want to hear Carl Urban say the word cunt a lot, uh, watch, watch The Boys. <laughs> it's pretty good. A lot of folks have been talking about that show, and I think it's all it deserves all the accolades that it gets. And um, just a filthy, dirty superhero show. Not not for children. Let me tell you right now, it's not for your uh, your little ones to watch because there's some language and graphic violence. You know, shit that I love. That's not for children. <laughs> um, what else? What else? What else? I'm thinking like, oh, this this is something I'll bring up. This this is a beef and a watch. See. Because I watched, I watched Good Boys, uh, that new movie, with the the foul moth little children in it. You know, and that's that's all well and good. And let, let me explain. Uh, well, I, I was talking in, in the NFW group, and uh, the, the chat with, with with Willis, who saw it, thought it was the most hilarious thing he ever seen in his life. And I, I was watching it on a nefarious way because I wasn't paying to see Good Boys because I I just wanted to watch it just to see if I was going to like it or not, because I was on the fence. 
and rightfully so, because when you get into it, it's essentially about, you know, three boys who are going into the sixth grade, who, of course, you have to, I guess, create the illusion that the internet, internet, internet doesn't exist. They're totally clueless about sex, they know nothing about it, but they're going to go to a kissing party for the first time, so uh, they learn about stuff from, they want to learn about this stuff, and they want to follow these teenage girls, and they accidentally steal their drugs, and so this is a thing in the movie. But the thing I don't like about the movie is, is that, you know, with all this stuff that's surfacing about pedophilia in Hollywood, there's certain stuff in there that's cringeworthy to watch sixth grade boys do. Example, the very last shot of the film, and I, I don't, I'm not spoiling much, because one of the boys in the film... Their father is into some weird sexual shit, so like they like like find like a bag of dildos and a ball gag one in, during some point in the movie. They don't know where any of this stuff is, but they find it. They 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 take it with them. But in the end, it's like, hey, look, my dad got this cool new thing, and it's a sex swing hanging from the ceiling. Oh my so god! The, the boys are like swinging out like it's like it's a swing, but it ends. The the the, the, the scene ends and the movie ends with the the sister who's like probably like three years their junior who knows more about sex than they'll ever know apparently with the, with the boys one's hanging in the swing one's in the front and one's going from behind like they're, they're having fun they have no idea what the fuck it is apparently and she goes you know that's for sex stuff right but it looks like they're fucking each other that's the joke that this movie's conveying <laughs> oh my god so, so the, that's the pro- a fucking wrong <laughs> see the problem I have with this movie is like I was telling you telling them Suzanne I, I don't know what audience they made this for. I, I just can't see, you know, they didn't make it. I, they obviously made it because they, they say, hey, you put foul mouth kids in a movie, people are probably going to come see it. But there's only so far you can go with that as far as, like, the jokes that uh, an adult would find humorous compared to children. But when you put shit like that in the movie, it's almost like pornography, pornography for, for pedophiles, especially with that, that closing shot. There's another scene <laughs> Which I laughed at, but I shouldn't have laughed at. In which the one boy breaks his arm, so they're going to pop him back in the socket. You know, action movie style. Ooh, it's like, oh, he's, God. He's got to bite down on something. So they have the ball gag from the sex toys. They have no <laughs> idea what it is. So they put the ball gag on the fat black kid. I'm like, come on, man. Somebody's probably, oh, wish it wasn't one of the dildos. <laughs> somebody's probably fucking pulled their punch in that shit, man. It, it is gross, and people are disgusting. You know, but I just don't... Films like that, I just don't see... There, There is an audience. I just don't know who that audience is and what's going through their mind when they're watching this movie. <laughs> In which the end scene is these boys straddling a sex wing not having no idea what the hell it is. And yeah, it's 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 a strange watch. And I think it's an uncomfortable watch. And I'm like, I, I, I see this, it was a thing, and I'll never need to watch it ever again because it's just, I don't know who it was made for. I don't know who they made this movie for. It's it's strange. And uh, just stop, you know. I mean, it's different. You know, we we, we watched uh, The Blockers, well, with this cock blockers, essentially. The movie's called Blockers. We, we all we all liked it. I mean, for, for the moment, I think we all liked it, but... Those girls were like 17 years old, so it was a little less uncomfortable with hearing them girls talking about giving a blowjob. So, they're still not legal, or well, maybe they are. I mean, they might be 18 by then, I don't know. But we hear it coming out of their mouths, you hear it coming out of a, like a like an adolescent's mouth. It's, it's different, it just is. So that movie works, and this movie does not work for me. It, it, it's, it's weird, you know. 
Yeah, I, I, I do find super bad funny, but they're graduating from high school. Yeah, you're going to be mouthy, obnoxious, and trying to fuck anything that will hold still long enough. Yeah, I'm one of the biggest advocators of you know people who talk shit about older movies and how they're they're over sexualized and look what this guy did to that girl. Like it's just a movie, you know. You you the human condition allows you to say, okay, maybe I shouldn't act like that. Than this fictionalized character in a movie, based on real people who act like that. I'm I'm not gonna act like that. But you you watch like Superbad and that, and I I. I don't. I don't find it as funny as I did when I was nineteen years old. I just, it just. I think most Apatow films, and I love. I love to just do them all in like a chunk one time, do them like one at a time, because they're overly long, and I don't think they need to be. <laughs> you know, it's just um, yeah. But good boys, but watch it for yourself. I, I don't want to be the judge of it. It made a lot of money this past weekend, but I just don't think that it was necessary to have these young boys doing. These over-sexualized shit that could essentially, you know, get somebody's crank going, some fucking weirdo. And I, I think that's that's not what they were going for. But the more and more you hear about this pedophilia shit in Hollywood and how Brian Singer is still employed, and uh, they talked about this on the last the last Friday the Thirteenth, I think. You guys should listen to it; it's pretty good. But it's a yeah, it, it, it's it's wrong, especially when all this stuff is coming out about these fucking people and. Well, Grisalva made another movie. That man should be fucking castrated. What did Grisalva do? He made another Jeepers Creepers. Oh, Victor Salva. I think he said Idris Elba. Like, what did Idris Elba do? You know? Oh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, we're not slamming Idris Elba. Okay. I'd have been real sad if I thought he did something. Yeah, they're talking about another Jeepers Creepers film, although the last one was terrible, I heard. and uh, I, I, I refuse. I mean, I heard it was bad, though. I, I didn't. I didn't see it myself. Oh. I. I just. I, I. This is where I draw the line. I fucking refuse. I will not watch anything with his name on it. Yeah, but I'm done with my watch list. Uh, we'll move on to to the next segment of the show, being the beef bitches and mashed potatoes. Okay, who gets the burly uh, beef? I ordered barbecue beef. I think that's mine, but I didn't who order gets fries. The barbecue beef? Mine's the juice deluxe. Okay, who gets the burly beef? I'll start with Iris. Uh, anything uh, eating at you, the girl, this week? Anything? Mm, no, not really. I mean, I'm still coming off of my high of having the kids here. So, yeah. you know, it's just like I was saying, pretty incredible to watch both of them work together and take care of these two little precious little lives. I mean, you know, they were being told that these babies are going to be Down syndrome or that this was going to be wrong with this one or they were probably going to be miscarried and all that. So seriously, you know, like she says, they truly are two little miracle babies. You know, she she suffers from lupus and she's also had, um, you know, other surgeries that needed to be done for her. But, you know. Here's these two little, very healthy, smart babies, and it's just amazing just to have them around. So, yeah, I'm still on that high, so I'm having a hard time finding something I don't like. (laughs) Fair enough, fair enough. Um, Suzanne? Well, you know, I had my last cigarette Friday at midnight. 
good for fucking you. I it's this is the third time I've taken a decent stab at it. I've got taken medication. I've got patches. I've got lozenges. I've got my vape. I'm doing anything I possibly can to not think about it. And I've I've done pretty good. Except I found that little things right now are pissing me off really, oh, really bad. Yeah. It'll do that. I I got mad yesterday because all of a sudden I realized there are a lot of I've got a lot of friends. Most of my friends and family are out of town, you know. And and I started looking. I was like, my God, I fucking go visit everybody. No one comes and sees me. Looked at Pat. I'm like, fuck it. I'm not traveling anywhere to visit anybody anymore. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I'm not. Gary, you go out of your way to come visit us. Yeah, it's, it's not it's not too taxing, but I, I love to come out there for sure. And my my sister goes to Pennsylvania about five times a year. I'm like, you can't take a long weekend and fly to Chicago. I haven't seen you in eight years. All right, fine. Fuck you too. But I, it's on top of not smoking it. I've realized that. Yeah, this is starting to piss me off a little bit. So, no more travel for me. Got a couple of friends that live in different states. I go visit them all the time. Do I get a visit? No! Done. And that's just my bitch. I'm happy I'm not smoking. I feel better. I actually had a ton more energy today. And I didn't even take any of my vitamins this morning. So, it's all a good thing. I'm keeping myself away from my friends that smoke. That's not going to last very long, but I, th- I'm, I think I'm over the hump. So, yay. Yeah, I have a small bitch. It's not really even about me, but, you know, a mutual friend of the show. He's been on the show a couple times. Uh, he does a show with, with on, on the Horophilia Network. I, that's all I will say, because I don't speak, speak ill of people, and it's not even about him. It's about the listeners and uh, how Patreon works, you know, he had a listener. I believe it's a listener. It may have been, it may have been a couple. He only disclosed one. They didn't even name his name. But they were on a small hiatus, this podcast, and they had these Patreons, a couple, one or two of these Patreon subscribers, b- bitching about the lack of content and the lack of, you know, Patreon content. And this is supposed to be, you know, the year where they do a lot of those, the stuff for the Patreon stuff. And I understand... You pay money into Patreon to get this content, you know, this extra content, this this extra push, whether it's program a show or extra content or whatever you have. But people, if I if I have to tell you this, listeners, that you, you you need to know that these people have real lives and real drama and real problems in their lives. If they don't, you feel they're not getting out to you fast enough. They really don't have to explain it to you unless they really know who you are. And I'm not saying you guys are less less people than them, but unless they choose to disclose their problems to you, they it, that's just tough shit to people. They, they they have real lives, and if they they that the podcast has to be halted in order for them to fix whatever problems they have in their real lives. That's just the way it is. I mean, I've had long hiatuses on here, mental health, etc. You know. I think there was like five months where I didn't put out a show, and that that's that that's only because the people that I want to record with I, I love dearly, and I don't want to push my problems onto the show or onto them. So, if you want top peak performance out of your 
the, the people you love to listen to week in and week out or two weeks in or two weeks out. Sometimes they need to step aside and reevaluate the situation. And if you can't recognize that, simply go fuck yourself because you're not being fair to them by, by recognizing they're having problems. You, you should be asking these people maybe, you know, is there something wrong instead of jumping up and down like a fucking child and bitching about a lack of content. So, to the, that people, if you're, if you're that kind of person, think about that before you even try it, because, yeah, it, it, this is this is a, a hobby for most people. If it was a job for most people, we'd be making Adam Carolla money, but we do not make Adam Carolla money, okay? They, they make a lot of money off that shit, and I we just don't. This is a hobby. This is a hobby I love. Don't get me wrong. I put a lot of my heart and soul into this, and this is great therapy for me. I'm sure it's great therapy for others, but you can't recognize people have real problems in the world and you're going to stand there and go on a soapbox about what you're not getting. That makes you a fucking child and I don't, I don't need to talk to you. So I'm going to leave that at that. Uh, that is my beef and bitch of the week. You know, my God, listeners, I love you guys to death, but, um, yeah, tonight, today we pay tribute to a man who who passed away. Not the one that I mentioned from from the Wild Angels, but somebody else. Because we lost two heavy hitters in about two weeks, and um, the the cinematic universe may never be the same. Uh, this one in question was Mr. Rutger Hauer, who's <clears throat> acted in many many things. But tonight we we uh, well let me ask him. I'll ask my co-host first. Iris, any any performances that stand out to you that, that you love the most from Mr. Rutger Hauer? Oh man, it, it's got to be um, oh, Blade Runner, and I think it was called Blood Games. Yeah, those two. Um, it, it's just the. I think the very first uh, Rutger Hauer movie I ever watched was Blade Runner, and I I was entranced by him because he was just. He's a beautiful man, for one, and he had good acting chops. Of course, at that age, you know, you really don't care about that. But um, I started seeking out other stuff in the, you know, at the the video store, you know, when we had those. (laughs) And I found stuff like the Osterman and um, others. And I, uh, Blood Games and I just loved it, and anything that I could see him in, I would. Even even now, uh, you know, that if he was in something, I would seek out the movie because I really enjoyed him as an actor. Because he he's so he gets kind of stuck in this in these certain roles, but even though he's kind of like was pigeonholed for a while, he still brought something to that to that character. You know, it wasn't like the same character over and over again. So. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to say Blade Runner would be my favorite. See, Blade Runner is one of those films I think is a pretty film. It has great performances in it, but I don't think it's a great film to me because I had the same problem with that I had, that I had with Nightbreed, that every everybody else around the main character, I guess, of of, um, of Harrison Ford, the, the Deckard, is be- infinitely better than him in the movie. It, that's That's the problem I have. You want to root for the other people. You're not supposed to be rooting for, but your main character is kind of, kind of not as good as those people, and that's one of the main problems I have with Blade Runner. But um, I'm gonna kick it to Suzanne. Any stand-up performances for you? I think the first thing I ever watched him in 
was Nighthawks. Ooh, that's a good one, too. And I have two movies that I can't decide what is my favorite action movie. One of them is Nighthawk. One of them is To Live and Die in L.A. Those two movies just are the epitome of action for me. And seeing he could play a bad guy, he could play a good guy, and he was riveting in whatever he did. My mother had a huge thing for Rutger Hauer, so if anything he was in was on TV. Uh, we were watching it. He had those piercing eyes, you know. Oh, he had the most gorgeous eyes. Mm. Oh, my God. And I, there's so many different roles. But like I said, Nighthawks stands out because he was just so cold. And he pulled it off. Yeah, a complete opposite of of um, Lady Hawk, where he is this love-torn knight, you know? So that's what uh, what I mean about just him being such a versatile actor. Uh, and one of my other favorites, and it's, I know it's cheesy, but I still love Blind Fury. Oh, <laughs> yes! That's God, that's, that's great. a great movie. It's, once again, it's a pop, a straight-up popcorn movie, but it is just fun, and he's having fun with the role and he is totally embellishing, and it—it's—it's uh, it's fun, it's fun, it's fun, it's fun. And he was in this one with oh god, I think it was like Blood and Fury, which is like you know a, a Black Plague medieval kind of movie. It's a—it's bleak, it's horribly made, but he makes it. But I'm okay. I'm done talking about okay. all of my favorite stuff. <laughs> But oh. Nighthawks, I could go on for hours because I yeah. do love them. I think it was your... yeah, Nighthawks. Nighthawks, is it Flesh and Blood, the one that you're talking about? Yes, Flesh and Blood. Yeah, and the one I was uh, mentioning, it's not uh, Blood Games, but The Blood of Heroes. Mm. That's a war movie, right? Uh, no, it's actually like in in the future, and there's kind of like this weird football type of game with a, oh, a, a yes. skull and they and they, this guy is picking up stones and tossing them and it it's yeah it's a great movie oh man yeah the first time i seen him in anything uh people down the block from me had a the, the original vhs for the hitcher and oh, I, I was about nine when i watched this movie and <laughs> You're I, kidding me! Good I, I job. just, I just knew at that at that point this was a guy you didn't want to fuck with because there, there's one thing that he pulled off and he pulled off so well was just like effortlessly making you think that he's the baddest motherfucker on the planet. Like just, just somebody you don't want to cross, somebody you don't want to like, you know, have a have an angry words because this guy, especially at the hitcher, will just be there and fuck with you till you know what till you break essentially and. That he did the he did the, the the greatest thing in that movie and I love it so much and uh, there's there's more um, I say the, the the thing that I I, I watched actively first that he's ever been in was the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie which it seems cheesy you know when you watch it but if you watch it and you're trying to catch all the little cues in there it, it works really well and he's just having fun being the stupid like. Um, leader vampire with with Paul Rubens as his rummy and uh so many great lines of that movie Luke Luke Perry you know God rest too <laughs> remember the last time you messed with me lefty because he ripped his arm off it's kind of great you know but oh he was also gosh. I forgot 
when TNT remade Salem's Lot, yeah, he yes. played Barlow, and that mm-hmm. was I watched it for him, and as we know how I feel about remakes, mm-hmm. and it, you could tell he wasn't even into the role. Oh my gosh! Um, I, I was a '90s kid, so there was a whole lot of them. Wedlock, I think, was the movie called where he had the explosive collars on. Um, oh God! Was oh that like God, a yeah, that was... HBO movie? I think so. Um, I remember that. I remember that. Too. <laughs> Split second. It's on Amazon Prime right now. I think right now you can watch it. Uh, him, him fight an alien in a sewer. That that's always great. Um, <laughs> there's there's so many good Riker Howard roles. It's it's hard to choose any of them. Just don't watch. Dario Argento's Dracula, because he'll be... <laughs> oh, Jesus, please don't. You might be dumb, dumb to watch that movie, but I, I'm not going to, you know, dump on that, but, you know, that's a... Uh, Nighthawk, oh, though. Worry. I can do that. <laughs> like I said, you know, he he's, did it so effortlessly, even in Night, Nighthawks, like Suzanne mentioned, which, I'm sorry, Suzanne, I, I love the movie, but it, it is it is a slog to get through sometimes, but when you get oh, to God, that... Oh, no, it's when you, not! When you get to that good shit, that, that good Rutger Hauer shit... And you know, you, you, there's there's some other good shit in there too. Just Stallone screaming is is always hilarious to me. As um, uh, after he cut Billy Dee's face, why would you do that for him? That's the face of Code Forty Five. Um, <laughs> I I don't it works. I don't know how there's any slog in that movie. I I I, I like that it. Movie I, from I, beginning I, to end. I I like it. You know, it's just um. I just I there it does not lose any momentum or anything throughout for me. I love I love the I love the movie, but it's not it's not Cobra, Suzanne. I'm just oh, God. <laughs> You're comparing Nighthawks to Marion Cobretti? Yeah. Gary! Yes, I was. Dude! <laughs> I thought we were friends. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna Jamie Savage something because I, I, I watched um I, I forgot. I, I watched the just today because he just premiered on Sunday, on his birthday, uh, the I Am Patrick Swayze documentary on the Paramount Network. You can oh, watch fuck, it. I forgot that was on. You can watch it for free on the <sighs> Paramount Network app, so you can get on it because, I'm telling you, there's, it's, it's going to give you the feels because he was a wonderful man. And just hearing I'm going to cry. Just hearing Sam Elliott talk about his his friend and brother, Patrick Swayze, is it's, it's, uh, it'll fuck you up, man. R- really hardcore. And, uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna cry, and you know I'm gonna cry. That whole series is good, though. That they do the, the I Am series. They did Richard yeah, Pryor, Sam Kinison. They did so many good ones, and I recommend watching them. Oh, all right, <laughs> dead people. Uh, we chose two films because I, I think these had the most well-rounded cast of all the films that he did. And I'm probably wrong about this, but these are two pretty good banging casts: uh, The Osterman Weekend and Surviving the Game. Uh, we'll get into the Osterman weekend right after this. Hello, and welcome to Hello, This is the Doom Show. I am Richard. And I hate the burning. Shh, who are you? Speak. <laughs> and I'm Brad. She came in and said, bark, bark, bark. And he said, bark, bark, bark. She said, bark, 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 bark. That's what I got. One is the Suspiria boner. The other is the Inferno boner. <laughs> which, anyway. Which one is crying? <laughs> the boner of tears. <laughs> Hello, This is the Doomed Show is available on hellodoomedshow.podomatic.com. 
and doomedmoviethon.com. Hello, hello, this is the Doom Show. Richard, Brad, Jeffrey, Naffa. It's the Doom Show. Hello, hello, this is the Doom Show. Slashers, G.I. Low and Horror. You are invited for a weekend in the country. A weekend of old friends and good times. Or so it seems. Your host is John Tanner. A man who is facing too many choices. What would you do if a total stranger proved to you that your three closest friends are Soviet agents? And you propose to use John Tanner to affect this? If we can convince him that his friends are spies. Are you uh, expecting house guests this weekend? Joe and Betty Cardone, Richard and Virginia Tremaine, Bernard Osterman. Are these people represent a grave threat to the security of the United States of America? What is it you want me to do? Just behave normally. You don't have to do anything. Would you cooperate with the authorities? Where are you putting all these cameras? Everywhere. Somebody's on to us, huh? I won't betray my friends. They know about Omega. You don't have any friends, Tanner. And that's government, isn't it? You're on intimate terms with three Russian agents. John Tanner's a friend of ours, right? So let's go to our friend John Tanner's house and set him up. I know that something's wrong. You tell me what I'm mixed up in. It's getting tricky now, isn't it? Would you help your friends and risk betraying your country? Comfort yourself with the thought that you never did have a choice. We're in prime killing time. And when you finally knew the truth, would you know too much? We're all gonna die. Betty, get out! Rutger Hauer. John Hurt. Craig T. Nelson. Dennis Hopper. Meg Foster. And Burt Lancaster. The one weekend of the year you won't want to miss. The Osterman Weekend. The Osterman Weekend from 1983. Uh, this is an adaptation from Robert Ludlum novel, of course. Um... Plot synopsis is this. During the Cold War, a controversial television journalist is asked by the CIA to persuade, persuade certain acquaintances who are Soviet agents of the Omega Network to defect. They're basically selling secrets and shit, and you guys good stuff. This has a, a banger of a cast, like I mentioned. Uh, Rutger Hauer, of course. John Hurt. Craig T. Nelson. Dennis Hopper. Chris Sarandon. Uh, Meg Foster and the Battle of the Piercing Eyes in this movie. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they, they both stick out really good. Helen Shaver, uh, Burt Lancaster. It's got a great, great cast. Uh, I don't want to take up all the good shit, so I'm going to kick it to Iris first uh, and ask her what she thinks of this movie. Oh, this this is a this is a great movie. I mean, from John Hurt and just how he manipulates everything to Craig T. Nelson's porn stash. I mean, wow. <laughs> I'm yeah, sorry. I mean, I'm serious. I, I, I have to interrupt this for a second because 
there was a serious missed opportunity, I'm going to kick this right now, of some, some supreme mustache twirling in this movie by Craig T. Nelson. Because <laughs> it's definitely twirlable, you know. It was. It's a watch. I mean, he could have gone, uh-uh, you know. <laughs> and I expected him to. Uh, and Chris Sarandon, I love his little hot-headed headedness. And, oh, Meg Foster, you could get lost in those eyes. I mean, wow. Uh, but, you know... The, of course, you know, you, you've got all this eye candy on there, not just eye candy as in beautiful people, but great actors, you know, Burt Lancaster and all. And I, I, first of all, I love Ludlum's story. I think I've read it three or four times already. And uh, and I, I like the Osterman Weekend also as a movie. I don't like to compare it to the book because I'd get upset, but um, it is good. And I mean... You've got such heavy hitters here. John Hurt, uh, how he just is the puppet master behind the whole thing. He, I mean, he's the puppet master of the guy who thought he was the puppet master. Um, you know, one of the guys knew that he was like, eh, I don't know. He's not very trustworthy, but you appeal to people's egos and uh, you can do anything. You You will manipulate them in any form that you would like. And that's exactly what this whole thing is because he appealed to the ego of Maxwell Danforth, which was a CIA head, Burt Lancaster, John Tanner, which is the, uh, uh, which is Rutger Hauer. He, he's the guy who has face to face, the hard hidden journalist. So he appealed to both of those egos to be able to do what he needed to do. And he had no qualms about destroying people and destroying their lives. No qualms at all. So uh, th this is a, a heavy header of a uh, heavy hitter of a movie for me. And it's always been so enjoyable because I love the twists and turns and the, how the, the manipulation that happens. And it's just a lovely spy film. It, a lot of people don't think it is a spy film, but it really is because you have this one person who's, controlling everything and even though he knows that his life is nil he does get to do what he wanted to do and that it was the exposure of very bad men and it, it's kind of weird but um it holds up especially right now it makes you think of what's going on you know not just here in the united states but everywhere and you know Who's appealing to whose egos and why are people being able to get away with what they do? So I really enjoy it. And uh, shoot, like I said, I've read the book several times. I think I've seen this. It's probably my third or fourth time that I've watched it. So very, very enjoyable for me. Uh, Suzanne. I have always been a big fan of this movie. The, the first time I saw it, it was one of those uh, parents were asleep. I crawled out of my bedroom, turned the TV down, because even if you turned it down low on one of those big old wooden console TVs, you could still hear. And I had no fucking clue what the hell was going on the first time I watched it. Just like, oh my god, oh my god, there's guns. There's a dog's head in the fridge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not a dog's head. And the first time I watched it, the only scene that really... I, I remembered was the RV blowing up and the chick 
had white powder on her face and I had no idea what that was. This is how young I was. <laughs> so I watched it the first time and I probably shouldn't have, but it's a movie I keep revisiting. I just bought the book on Kindle. I'd never read it before. So that's coming up and I'll do my best to keep them separated. But thank you, Iris, for the uh, the lush stash on Craig T. Nelson. Because mm-hmm. that is something that really needs to be discussed. And I pretty much am going to reiterate most of what you said. Chris Sarandon being the hothead. And Dennis Hopper is just this dude who's just pussy whipped beyond belief. He's almost like the straightest man in the whole movie. Like, you know, like straight as an arrow in a way. You know, all business. Oh, yeah. But his wife is pretty much um, it's, he's pussy whips. If anybody remembers that term. Oh, definitely. Those are those, and... people, that, those people that have joined Facebook accounts with their wives. <laughs> <laughs> so, sorry if I buffed your balls if you're that listener. Sorry, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm so thankful. Um, I don't have any of those people in my list. I should probably go and double check that. <laughs> but, I mean, I think you really can... There's just a, a a deviancy to some of the characters. I mean, Dennis Hopper being so straight-laced and Helen Shaver as his wife is just... A, I think every bad female trope you can think of. <laughs> she She's a cokehead. She drinks all the time. She dresses provocatively. She speaks provocatively and pretty much constantly demeaning Dennis Hopper. I think I, I just find their relationship for some reason just oddly compelling. I don't know why. And I just I kind of like sober or not really sober, but single, you know, mustached Craig T. Nelson. And there's just like this weird dynamic between them. And yes, the battle of the blue eyes and Meg Foster is really good and damn near anything she wants to be in. And she was also his co-star in Blind Fury, too. Mm-hmm. It's a great movie. It's a great spy movie. And it's a great story of manipulation. It's subtle at first. And then you start seeing the cracks in the surface. This is a fantastic movie. I love this movie. Oh, wait till you read the book. You're gonna, it, it, you're gonna go wow. Well, I, I looked at a couple of the Kindle reviews and like, called they, they called it sophomoric, and I'm like, I don't care. I'm reading it anyway. Well, you also have to think who's making those. Oh, reviews. I know. It's probably a bunch <laughs> of millennials who have no idea what a spy novel is, or what the Cold War is, or anything like that. So yeah. Oh yeah, that's still what. People who write those reviews, shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah, I forgot to mention that this is this is this is directed by Sam Peckinpah. And there's there's certain points in this film that you realize that I've, I've ever seen a man oh, yeah. that make you make you make you mad at yourself for looking at breasts and probably slightly enjoying them because this movie starts with you know John Hurt and his wife, you know, get do, doing the deed, and then of course you get to see John Hurt's butt. And you know, that's that's not very pretty, but his wife's breasts are, are you know good looking. But you immediately feel bad that you're looking at them because she's immediately murdered by men that you don't see their faces. Hence the setup of the film, which is 
his desperate move to get the men that either did this or were connected to, to doing this, killing his wife. And these are these three gentlemen that, that you know, were supposedly sent by uh, the, the head of the, the, of the CIA to, to do this job. And I, uh, I could be wrong about this, but if you didn't believe you're in a Peckinpah film, the third act of this film is uh, batshit crazy because they're paranoid the whole time. But when it makes the churn in which John Hurt just wants everybody to fucking die because he's unsure about about about, about Rutger Hauer's character because he's friends with these people, they're having this nice weekend, so I guess he assumes that he's going to be get aside with them. So he's like, "Fuck it, commandos kill everybody," and then Meg Foster goes crazy with the bow and arrow. And that's awesome, and Craig T. Nelson's just doing like front kicks and beat the fuck out of people in the dark and. That's, yeah, I don't want to meet him in a dark room. <laughs> see, I, I, I believed it here, but I didn't believe it in Action Jackson. So it's, it's a, him being like a like a hard ass, you know. He was always the coach, Coach Hayden Fox, man. I, I watched the fuck out of some coach, man. It's a, it, he's he's Mr. Incredible. Yeah, that, yes, that, Mr. That, Incredible. That came later, but, you know, as, as a boy, you know. Oh, I was, yeah, I know. Coach I was, was very, amazing. Uh, very stoic man as, as the coach and... This movie just just shatters all those fucking beliefs because he's this this guy. Because when the shit really hits the fan, he really shows his true colors of you know I'm gonna do what I can to survive, and uh, it, it just goes off the rails like a peck and paw film does. Like I said, if you didn't realize you were in one, you know during this great like because basically you know from jump right away that these guys are bad men. The, the Craig, Craig, Craig T. Nelson, Chris Sarandon, and Dennis Hopper, because they tell you all about it, and that, that's like 20 minutes in, you get the setup for the film, but when it starts going gonzo, and the commandos start coming in, and like I said, they're just jumping off, you know, picking picking people off, you, you know this is a peck and paw film, it's, it's dark, but visceral, and I hate to say it, but Rucker might be like, not, not the weakest character in the movie, because of course he gets... The ending happens, and I'm not going to give that away, but uh, because you guys should watch it, and it's just damn enjoyable with with the damn cast working their ass off and director working his ass off. Because I, 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 let me tell you, it's it's it's, it's wild, you know, minus John Hurt's naked ass, because that's just ugly. <laughs> that's, that's like Buscemi's ass and Boardwalk Empire is like, Ugh, that's that's just gross. But uh, no. <laughs> yeah, if you haven't watched Boardwalk Empire, I think in the very first episode you get to see Steve Buscemi's ass, and that ain't pretty. <laughs> I'm gonna leave it at that though. Um, and ask Iris anything else she'd like to say about the film, and what does she give it one to ten? Um, I think pretty much everybody said anything that one that needed to be said, and I'm gonna give this a nine. I I enjoy it, and I think I enjoy it. Um, oh God intellectually more than anything else but it is very smart it really is and a lot of stuff going on so lots of to pay attention to why why everything's going on so it's not like a look at your phone kind of movie it's it's it, no. there's a lot going on <clears throat> suzanne i'm going with iris on this it's a straight up nine it's and you're right you put your cell phone down because there's things are happening all the time if you blink, you're gonna miss something integral to the plots. I I just I, I just really love this movie. I can't wait to read the book. I'm probably gonna hate it, but it doesn't matter. 
I really like to see someone like Kino Lorber get a hold of this because this movie deserves a decent release. It is such a fantastic movie with so many amazing principles involved. Sam Peckinpah, the cast, you, there is really no way that this could ever miss. Cool. Yeah, I know the releases are slim on this one. As far as I know, in any American release, I'm sure there's VHS out there, but there's an Anchor Bay DVD that came out long ago, and I'm sure it's way out of print by now. So if you can find it at your local thrift store, I'd say pick it up because it's it's pretty boss, people. And uh, like, like yeah, like we're getting a lot of stuff on Blu-ray now, and that I thought I'd never see on Blu-ray. Uh, Shout Select. Um, which I think is better than Shout Factory to me, is releasing a three-disc version of The Harder They Come with, like, full of extras. And I got, nice. I, I got to have this, because, you know, my love for the Midnight Movie and Jimmy Cliff. So <laughs> so I, I have hope, Suzanne, that somebody's going to pick this up, because it's pretty amazing. Yeah. I would love this. I think Keno Lorber would do it justice. Mm-hmm. Maybe, Maybe select. Yeah, pick it up, man. It's good stuff. Um, my, my my score, my grade for the film, and this is based on me only seeing it one time, is is an 8 out of 10. I'm sure it'll jump up to that 9 that these ladies are talking about, too. I didn't like, I, did, I didn't dislike anything about it. I just need to watch more of it. So, like I said, it's not a look-at-your-phone movie. It's There's a lot going on, and there might be something that I missed that I is integral to the plot that I missed. I, I need to watch it again probably a couple more times just to, to take it all in, so... Fair score, 8 out of 10, so I'm going to give it that. Uh, right right after this, uh, Rutger Hauer is no longer the hunted. He's the hunter uh, in Surviving the Game, starring many, many people that I, that I know and love. We'll do that right after this. Here's what some people are saying about the Projection Booth podcast. The Projection Booth is single-handedly the greatest film podcast you could ever listen to or could possibly want. Top-notch. Five stars. This has quickly become one of my favorite film-related podcasts. Always interesting. A completely unpretentious yet fully comprehensive look at films from all genres. This podcast is an amazing resource and one that helps in the discovery or rediscovery of films for anyone who enjoys thinking about cinema. If you love movies and podcasts, subscribe and enjoy The Projection Boot. Every episode is beautifully crafted to give you a true audio experience. A wonderful companion to the films they cover. The Projection Booth is awesome. A wide range of films covered from classic to cult to contemporary. Thoroughly researched, very entertaining, and always informative. The amount of work and effort that goes into this podcast is something to behold. Interviews, critiques, music, and trailers. These are just the tip of the encyclopedic completeness each episode holds. It's also really fun. I listen to a lot of movie podcasts, and there are a lot of really good ones out there. But The Projection Booth is by far the only one I listen to with any regularity. It's like a special features disc of your favorite Criterion Collection release. The Projection Booth Podcast, with new episodes available every week at projectionboothpodcast.com. Before we start the review for Surviving the Game, I have a correction and omission here uh, that I, I didn't research, so... I'm a bad podcaster. Uh, the Oscar Weekend does have a Blu-ray, and it's available right now uh, at any online retailer, I'm sure. Um, Anchor Bay put it out on a Blu-ray, and it has 
a 76-minute documentary on there, a commentary, and a theatrical trailer are the extras. So, and it's pretty cheap right now. It's a twelve ninety-nine as we're recording this. So, Suzanne says she's going to buy that shit. So here, here it is. <laughs> but the filming question next is surviving the game from nineteen ninety-four, directed by the great Ernest Dickerson, who was a a protege of one Spike Lee, and I. He made some great films in his own right, including this one. Your plot synopsis is this. A homeless man is hired as a survival guide for a group of wealthy businessmen on a hunting trip in the mountains, unaware that they are killers who hunt humans for sport and that he is their new prey. <clears throat> this, of course, stars Rutger Hauer as the head guy, uh, Thomas Burns. This stars Ice-T as the homeless guy in question, Jack. Uh, cast of characters. Charles S. Dutton's in this movie. Gary Busey. F. Murray Abraham and all that fucking nose. Uh, John C. McGinley. W William Mac McNamara, which Suzanne pointed out to me because I, I couldn't recognize who it was, but he was the killer of the movie Copycat, and I'm sure he's done much more things. But I, I that's where I placed him as well. When she, as soon as she said it, it popped into my brain. Um, yeah, great, fun fucking movie this is. Uh, Suzanne, you can lead this one off. What do you think of Surviving the Game? This was actually this a second time watched for me. I watched it, I think, when it hit, God help me, VHS. And me and a couple of my friends rented it because, you know, we everyone had one actor in that movie. They loved me. It was always, it was all about the Rucker Howard. You guys know that. And I've seen, this is another one of those, I, I guess, narratives. You know, a group of wealthy people, not wealthy, but hunting humans. But I think this one, they kind of upped the ante a little bit and made it a little more fun. You can't have that many amazing actors and not have something decent going on. I really love Ice-T. And he's he plays just such a good down-on-his-luck dude that's homeless and trying to stand up for all of his homeless friends doing his best to try to help them and himself. And then, of course, this is the one part that really surprised me. Charles S. Dutton is a fucking asshole in this movie. Isn't that weird? <laughs> I know! Do you remember Rock? I remember Rock, yes. <laughs> he is such an asshole! He never plays the heavy in almost anything, but he's the heavy in this, you know. Well, what are, what are the many heavies? Yeah, everybody here is a heavy. But I mean, like, I, I when I saw him, like, I no, 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 no. Rock is an asshole. What? But I just this one is I for me it always plays more adventure for me, just because it's just it's the scenery is fucking gorgeous. Well, they make great use of that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's one of those movies where the scenery chews up the scenery. And F. Murray Abraham trying to make a man out of his son, which is William McNamara. And it's, and once again, it's a battle of egos. You can see all of the cracks when they find out that he's a little more cunning, a little more street smart, and not um, a waste of a person that they think he is. And he starts... Uh, going right back after them. And I think once he kills the first one, which is Gary Busey, this is before I think 
he had the motorcycle accident and Definitely. went insane. But you just start seeing all of the cracks in everyone's veneer. You know, John C. McGinley, he is just, I mean, I swear to God, if you dropped a toothpick next to him, he would fucking explode. He was just so amped up throughout the entire movie. I don't know how he even maintains that. They didn't show him, but if they, if they showed him, this would be the battle of the teeth in this movie between Gary Busey and John C. McGinley. <laughs> nice one, nice one. But it's it's still it's a decent movie. I I think it's a fun movie. I think it's a great adventure movie, and the interaction between the all of the actors and it's 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 just it's a really good movie. Love it. Cool, cool. Iris. Um, I I enjoy this one too. This is a fun little romp. Uh, you know, it's a bit. I, I mean, you've. We've seen this movie before countless times. Yes. Um, but I, I kind of, it's kind of fun to see the the hoity-toity people kind of, you know, break themselves down and become that primal animal that they keep saying the homeless guy is. <laughs> Because and I love the dichotomy there because as the homeless guy, he's very kind. He he helps. I mean, he buried a dog and then he had to bury his best friend. Um, so you know you, you see that compassion, and then you have these people who have everything and anything that they want, and they have no compassion. They feel they are above the law and all this. So in actuality, who's Who's the real animal here, right? And and we've the the big thing about the film is that that they they get this guy and they literally know nothing about him except that he told them he had no family, so they know nothing about his survival skills. They just know that he's a heavy smoker and he can run a treadmill real good. So that's why they chose him. That's why they because you know we need somebody with endurance. Yes. Um. You know, and especially at that time, I'd be kind of worried that the person I'm picking up is a homeless, um, uh, you know, military person, <laughs> you know, that has skills. But um, I've, I've, I've known like a couple homeless veterans before, you know, when you got it, this is goes for anybody. When you got somebody who's got nothing to lose, that, that should have been taken into account because these guys underestimated every area because he's. He's an animal. He's he's less than us. So you know, yeah, they, yeah, so, they get it real good. <laughs> yeah, they do, and and I enjoy it. And and the first kill was kind of like meh, but how he just turns the tables on them so quickly, I, I really enjoy that. And they're like, oh wait, this guy isn't. Oh, he's smart. We're gonna have fun with this. And, and they kind of enjoy. It's kind of like having you know, oh, it's a trained monkey. This is going to be fun. But then, you know, it turns out that he's the one that gets everyone in the end. So, I, I yeah, it, it's a good, fun watch. And, you know, Ice-T, he's Ice-T. Okay? Yeah. He's Ice-T in every movie. It's, yeah. He's Ice-T. <laughs> you know? he's, he's Ice-T. He is body count Ice-T. <laughs> right? He's Ice-T. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, it, it was fun. I enjoyed it. Um, I think... This is probably a first time watch for me, because I don't remember. 
It's kind of hard to tell, though, because, like I said, I've seen this movie several times before. This, they've done it a couple of times. I mean, I mean, they, I think yeah, Dark Target came out in the same year. Yeah. And it's almost the same movie. Exactly. And, you know, yeah, it, so... It's, it's, it's hard for me to choose between the two because there's so many great character actors in both films. Yeah. And, just and, just uh, doing crazy things. Right, and let's let's talk about the actors. The actors are great in this. Of, of course, you've got Boosie. I mean, who who doesn't love him? And uh, we have um, John C. McKinley, who he like like you know you were saying you drop a, a toothpick next to this guy, he was going to explode. And just when uh, you know Ice T has him, and he's like, he goes like, go ahead, kill me. I, I don't. He has nothing to lose, and again, it's you, you have these two character characters who have absolutely nothing to lose. They do not give a frack about life itself, and that's what makes them the most dangerous because they don't care. So, um, yeah, his part in this was great, and of course, you know you have Rutger Hauer, and he's just lovely to watch. <laughs> like you were saying, Charles <laughs> Dutton has an asshole. I mean, I'm like, what? That's a, this is The Rock. What do you mean? I know that was the hardest thing. I'm like, and he's constantly, you know, patting everyone on the back going, see, I picked a good one. Yes, I picked him. I picked him. Look at what I did. I like, but he, he's trying to to these people. Right. That was, I, and of course, uh, that's a total front. Because what he was doing, he was like, mm, who can I pick from this group of people? Uh, so, yeah, it, it's a fun flick. I have to say that I enjoyed watching it. Uh, oh, the kid too, uh, Wolf Junior. I mean, F. Murray Abraham in this was pretty good too. I like his character because he's like, I'm trying to teach you how to be a man, son. He's an animal, <laughs> and the kid's like, um, yeah, what the fuck ever, Dad? <laughs> I'm not playing your game. You got too much of your mother in you. <laughs> I would have said thank you. <laughs> yeah. I'm a humane person. Thanks, Dad. You know, yeah. fancy I, that. I have compassion. Imagine that. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's pretty much me. It was. It, it's a great film. The cast is fun. It's a little quirky and corny at times. But, you know, you're watching a whole bunch of really fun people to watch on the screen. So he's oh, good. I got I got three words and it's my favorite part of this whole movie is Prince Henry Stout. OK, when Gary Busey's <laughs> doing the, the monologue about the dog. Oh, God, that. Fuck. Oh, my God, that was awesome. If there's one reason to watch this movie, <laughs> that's it. And you can YouTube that. But I, I reckon I watch the whole thing, but. When he starts telling him about this fucking dog, about his dad bought him this dog just so he could fuck with him and eventually attack him and prove to be a man. That's one thing this film was the film is filled with is masculine dudes who who were better than Ice T apparently, but not really because he dispatches them. You know, if 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 I, if I had to say one thing, it's 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 kind of like a cheaper version of like First Blood in that sense because he's, he's in the wilderness. He's got nothing, you know. They have lots of guns. He he's he's got nothing. So he's got to use the elements around him. You know, there's a great there's a great gag where he's he becomes where you know he becomes smarter than him because he they at some point in the movie at, at the dinner table scene with about Prince Henry Stout, 
he uh, Busey gives him a pack of cigarettes, and he he sticks them in a tree to make the illusion that he's he's having a cigarette, but he's really someplace else. So essentially, the hunters become the hunted, and it works really well in this movie in that sense that he's playing it so smart with these guys that are supposed to be better than him at all this because they've done this before. There's a hilarious scene where he walks in a room full of severed heads. And oh my god! Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's really great. They 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 pull it off um, even more hilariously. I, I I unapologetically love the movie The Pest with John Leguizamo, and that's essentially what this movie is like the most the most dangerous game, hard target surviving the game. This has been done since I think the most dangerous game came out in like the forties. It's mm-hmm. it's, a, it's yeah. a black and white movie, so it's an old movie. Fucking fantastic movie too. Yeah, it's it's been done, you know, and but this. I love this is like your character actors list of the nineties and I, I, I love them. I love they all do their job in this movie really well. Like they said Rock is a real dick and that never happens. So if you ever want to see Charles S. Dutton play a heavy I mean even Alien Three, he was an asshole in Alien Three in a way, but he he, he showed compassion at least. This guy was <laughs> looking for a few <laughs> I hate to put bring slavery into this. He's he's looking for one with a good back, you know. It's a, it's a <laughs> It's like he's scouting these people to be hunted and like, yeah, yeah, you're kind of a, a drug of society who's using these people, downtrodden people for, for your own, I guess, gain, I guess. I don't know. Does he get money to bring these people in? It's it's really strange. I think it's the stuff they don't explain. Like um, when Ice-T's talking to John C. McGinley about he, he killed he, he, he killed the, the wife and daughter and he gave him a hard-on or something like that. I forget the dialogue exactly. And he just loses his mind. Now, was his family murdered by somebody, a transient like him? You don't know. He's just fucking nuts. He's unhinged for, for some reason they'd never explain. And I'm fine with that. Uh, just just masculine dudes doing disgusting things and then being dispatched. Everything you want in a movie like this, except the ending was a little weak sauce. It, it was a callback to something that happens in the beginning of the movie about when they find a gun in a dumpster uh, yeah. Rutger Howard does not abide by those rules and he gets dispatched because of it so in the end Ice-T wins all the way um, after Rutger Howard went through all those that, that problems the making all those disguises you know oh, bless you my child bless you <laughs> love it so much uh, it's, 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 like, like Suzanne said this is one I saw on VHS and have not stopped watching since. It's been shown on TNT probably 2,000 times. So. <laughs> movies for guys who like movies. And, uh... Oh, God, I remember that campaign. <laughs> I, 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 I'm not a dude, but I like movies, too. Exactly, right? Um, Lots of tango and cash in that selection. We haven't done that movie yet, surprisingly, but here here we are. Uh, I think, I think uh, surviving the game isn't the best... This has ever been the story, but I think I, I think that goes to hard target. Which, if you've seen the if you haven't seen the John Woo work print version of that film, you're doing yourself a disservice because that's another one of those times you let Jean Claude Van Damme cut the film, and that's not cool because you lost some good Hendricks and stuff. But uh, <laughs> um, this movie's great. I'm gonna leave it at that. Suzanne, what do you think? Uh, anything else you want to add? And what do you think of one to ten? I think, I don't want to say it's a tired or overused theme, but there's only a few ways the story can play. They put a fantastic 
you know, A-list 90s cast in. The, I have to admit, the whole thing with John C. McGinley and his family, that was, like, a little irritating. I'm like, at least kind of extrapolate just a little bit. Yeah, because it's not really explained. It's not just not, and that's... Because, I mean, there was just, like, some thread of commonality between him and Ice-T, and I just wish they'd, you know, extrapolated on that just a touch. You didn't have to do very much. Keep it simple, stupid. I do like the movie. The actors make the movie because it's a little... The plots, you have to admit, thin as hell. It's very thin, yeah. But the the cast make the movie enjoyable. So I'm sitting at about a seven with this one. Cool. It's a fun movie. It's not got the greatest story, but the cast makes the ride totally worth it. Cool, cool. Iris. Um, I have to go with Suzanne. Um, it it's the cast that makes the movie because the story is, I mean, like I said, we've seen the story so many times already. And we know the story well. Um, so it's not like you get invested into the story, but you kind of get invested with the characters a bit. And, um, yeah, so, yeah, I'm going to give it a seven. Cool. Yeah, I'm probably right with you guys with that seven. It's it's not it's not perfect, but in a critical sense, I'd, I'd say it's a seven. It's totally, it's totally watchable. And I, I recommend it to anybody just to give it a watch if you've never seen it before, because this is just like... 90s action orgasm all over the place because all those stars are in this movie and all you were missing was like a oh Billy Drago was in this movie man oh man I I, I would who would I replace him with I, I I'd replace I'd replace F Murray Abraham with Billy Drago just that scowl oh god at, yes all day every day looking at his son with that scowl saying you got too much of your mother in you you know <laughs> that would uh, be incredible. Yeah, seven out of ten. I I enjoy it too. Um, but uh, we're gonna leave it at that, and uh, we're gonna come right back and close out the show. If you enjoyed this show, then make sure you check out the other great shows on the Legion Podcast Network, like Cinema Psyops, Cinema Beef, Devour the Podcast, Duncan and Bo Come Correct, Exploding Heads Horror Movie Podcast, Friday the Thirteenth, Get Slayed, The Hell Ming Power Hour, Hello This Is the Doom Show. Hero Hero Ghost Show, Kill the Cast, Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space, Jerry Hates Action, Legion After Dark, Metal Health, Obsessive Cinema, Discourse, Pick 6 Movies, The Podcast by the Cemetery, The Podcast on Haunted Hill, The Psycho Semantic Podcast, Rick Radio, House of Wax, Dude Looks Like the 80s, Rabbit and Red Radio, The Shade Cast, Short Bus Cinema, Two Drink Minimum Commentaries, The VD Clinic, Who Will Survive Horror Podcast, and Which Versus the Doomsday Clock. With such a widespread of shows, there is guaranteed to be a niche for you to fall in love with. Horror, politics, movies, books, sex, music, commentaries, health, video games, kaiju, action, news, comedy, and opinions that would most likely get you killed in some parts of the world. We are proud to bring you some of the best podcasting in the world. Check us out at www.legionpodcast.com, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, and any other dark corner of the internet where podcasts can be found. We did much this last time, but let's do it this time because I I forgot somebody last time and we lost somebody very recently, which I referenced earlier. That uh, pretty big deal. We'll talk about that in the Butcher's Block. Uh, first up, 
Uh, we lost a pretty big wrestler uh, a few weeks back. Harley Race is, is a world champion all over the world. Um, if you don't know who he is, he was, uh, I want to say he was with the AWA. He was with a bunch of different organizations, but uh, I'll put it this way. W without Harley Race, you wouldn't have Ric Flair. You would not have Triple H. You, you would not have probably like a good, a, a few more that I could name. But he, um, remember when wrestling had holds people? Uh, Harley Race was uh, in, in that mix and he had quite the head of hair too. I gotta say that out of <laughs> out of out of control curly Jufro thing going on. And uh, <laughs> Suzanne knows what I'm That's why she laughs. See, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm sure you guys both watched old school wrestling. Uh, any feelings on Harley Race at all? Well, I... one of the podcasts I listen to, Crime and Sports, they promised to dedicate an episode to Harley Race. Did they do that yet? Not yet. Okay, but well, I will uh, wait to listen. To I that guess time. he didn't do anything. He didn't kill anybody like Superfly, but I guess he was just kind of a a nut job. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that too. And I can't wait to hear about it. And they love him, so they're gonna do it very tastefully. Yeah, that was another one of those guys that was at like a sports show like three weeks before he passed away, and then he canceled. I was like, I know he's not doing well because I heard that he wasn't doing well, and ah, uh, you know. <laughs> It's tough to lose people. Ira said anything about Harley Race? Uh, well, Mr. Handsome Harley. <laughs> no, you know, I think I may have seen him in uh, a fight or two, but I really wasn't into the whole wrestling thing as a kid. Fair enough. So, you know. Oh. You know what I? What, you know what he reminds me of? He reminds hmm. me of the um, the the strong arm. Oh, what was that? It was that that like wrestler guy that you could pull his arms all the way out. Uh, Stretch Armstrong. Yeah, Stretch Armstrong. That's who he reminds <laughs> me of. The younger pictures of him. That's 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 who he reminds me of. Oh my gosh! And then, <laughs> but now uh, I'm I'm showing okay. my age. Sorry. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> if I saw him, I'd probably recognize him because I, I watched a lot of wrestling when I was younger. And then I discovered boys and music, and well, I was done with that. Mm. <laughs> I think those Stretch Armstrong still exist. I think they've made new ones since the 70s. I'm not yeah, sure, they, though. Yeah, they don't look the same, but I have to say, look at the older ones and, and look at his younger picture of the dude, and you're like, oh my god, it's Stretch Armstrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, big one, I know. You know, you got to put aside certain feelings. I know people have certain feelings about him and his wife, you know, personally, but the film career speaks for itself to make him a truly an American icon. We lost Peter Fonda over the last couple of days, and I got to say, you know, I, I could put certain things aside. You know, I don't see what people complain about. He's acted in many great genre films, serious films, even some bad films. I'm not going to take up all the glory here, but Iris, Peter Fonda, what, what are some favorites of yours? Oh, favorites, of course, has to be Future World and uh, Race with the Devil. I got to see both of those in the movie theater, and uh, yeah, that has to be some of my favorite ones. Another one I saw in the movie theater was Cannonball Run. So this guy has been in a lot of movies. I think it's like a hundred and something and 
you know, he he's got some serious chops. He he can do, and kind of like Rutger Hauer, he he could do anything, like from from Uli's dad to uh, you know, Pipeline. I got to watch Uli's Gold one day. I have I've never seen it. Oh, you will cry your oh, eyes you're out. You're gonna cry your eyes oh, out. Oh, you really will are. cry. Buy a box of Kleenex. Actually, mm-hmm. buy two. Definitely. I mean, from that to Pipeline in you know escape from la i love that stupid movie so much (laughs) so yeah he could play anything and everything so um it's yeah you know another great one gone and i think for my age i'm going to start to see a lot of the people i used to see in movie theaters slowly start to fade away and it makes me extremely sad because there's not anybody else that's coming up that has any Nobody's going to replace these guys, exactly. They don't have that sense of style or character. Everything, Everybody just seems like a carbon copy, and they're just trying to remake and redo instead of trying to do something new and exciting. Well, well when Hollywood seems like they've you know, blown their load on creativity, they don't have that anymore. You know, so, yeah, it's kind of hard. <laughs> Well, there's, yeah, there's the, the problem is there's not many li- what they would call leading men left, and you have a leading man like 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 a Peter Fonda. I think maybe the last ones left would be like a George Clooney and somebody like that. That that can yeah, carry a it's film. Completely phony. Well, but you know what? You have to write, or or, or Hollywood has to write movies and, and produce movies that need that kind of a leading man, and and they're not doing that. So. Nobody's gonna step up. If, if I had to pick one that I think has that that kind of quality, to, and, and it and still gets these leading men roles, I think Sam Rockwell's up there as far as a choice of today. I really like him. He's played once again a lot of diverse roles, and I mean, I'm just gonna step on Peter Fonda for a minute. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I've seen Easy Rider several times because there's just something there's just something about that movie. Like, you know, Peter like Fonda came from a huge Hollywood family, but he went through the Corman machine to learn how to make movies. I mean, that's that's Instead like of, if it's not the first independent film, it's it is probably one of the first independent films ever. Is Easy Rider? But yeah, he, he, a lot of those guys, and like I said, Peter Fonda huge Hollywood family, he decided to learn from the bottom up. How many guys do that? Wait, I can just, oh, I got tons of money. I can, I can do whatever I want. But he decided to learn the craft. I think his dad probably had a lot to do with that too, though. Well, yeah, I'm sure it, it helped. But he didn't He didn't just get handed anything. He actually no. worked. Yeah, and, and that's what I'm saying, though. I think his dad probably instilled that work ethic in him that, oh, yeah. you know, okay. don't expect things to be handed to you. You have to, you have to earn your shit. And one of the things I wanted to do in New Orleans, on top, I had to go to St. Louis Cemetery Number 1, and it's <laughs> Easy Rider is the reason why no films were, no one will ever shoot film in there again. It was because of Easy Rider. And LSD, you know. Oh, no. they. Yeah. Um, there is a scene in Easy Rider, and I've, I've stood in front of that statue, and I'm like, I have seen them riding that statue. 
tripping balls. And it was amazing. Oh my gosh. Yeah, like, like Suzanne mentioned, uh, Easy Rider is easily, could be at the top of anybody's list. You know, we, we talk about scenery and, 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 um, and yeah. surviving the game. That the, the scenery is all over that movie, kind of like a vanishing point or something like that. You know, it's a uh, it's that kind of movie. Um, yeah, the Corman machine was was deep. I, I love the stories because there's never an unhappy person in that group. Because basically they said that they, they didn't get paid shit, but you know you're gonna learn how to make a movie. And being in that system, they they, they learn how to make a movie. And I love I want this movie to happen. Joe Dante is always talking about it on his podcast about. Uh, a script that he's written, it's done about the making of the movie The Trip. Because they, they, <laughs> they, they, they made they made Roger Corman do LSD before he did he made that movie just so he could have that experience. And uh, I, um, P- Peter Fonda, he's, he's just an icon. There's there's too many things to name. I, I I like him in the dumb stuff. I like him in the good stuff. I mean, that Ghost Rider movie is bad, but he he was pretty great as the devil in that movie. Uh, <laughs> Not as bad as Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. Uh, scratching at the door! I can't do uh, Nick Cage. I can't go full cage on this one, you know, but uh, one, one of these days, uh, pissing fire in that movie. It's, 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 it's bad, bro. But uh, yeah, Pete, back to Peter Fonda again, though. And I, I've, I haven't seen everything. There's there's so much stuff. Like 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 Iris said, the Racing with the Devil. Race with the Devil's a great one that I saw late in the game. Future World is is not is not as good as Westworld, but he it's not he, a good movie. But Peter Fonda is very very good. He Peter rocks Mr. he rocks that tweed jacket like nobody's business, man. Yeah, he does. <laughs> he makes that movie watchable. Blythe Danner is a character called Socks in that movie. She didn't even got a grown up name. It just it's called Socks. <laughs> you know, oh, it's 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 real dumb, but it's there. I love it. Tweed jacket, like I said, amazing. Um, so I'm sure as long as my arm are f- films of his that I haven't seen, but the ones, the good ones stick out that I have seen. And, uh, he, he's the, the, the meaning of the word icon. There's not many left. Uh, Robert Redford, I just had a, had a birthday. Uh, I think he's 83 years old now. So <laughs> Robert Redford looks like a saddlebag. Yeah. <laughs> Cause he's 83. Why, why are you whining about Redford now? He's 83 years old. Leave him alone. I know, but still he looks like a saddlebag. All these other guys are out there getting fucking Botox and shit and trying to, like, prep their, like, push, push their faces up. I'm glad he's aging gracefully, you know? but he looks like a saddlebag. Like like another person of the, of the Corman camp, uh, Jack Nicholson. I admire Jack Nicholson. You know why? Because he, 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 he don't give a fuck anymore. He's going go to the, he's gonna go fuck 22-year-old girls, and he don't give a fuck. And I love it so much, you know. I hope I age that gracefully, or I don't give a fuck. It's just, it's so good. But we don't all age uh, all the way like that, but, uh... He's no longer with us, and I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, go, go watch some 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 good movies, and that's all. That's always the most important thing. But um, go watch some bad movies. They're sometimes better. Yes, sometimes they're better. John Carradine made a lot of them. <laughs> but I'll kick it to Iris and ask her what she has coming up. Well, we just recorded uh, two of our episodes for the Expectation Filmcast. Uh, Tormented is the one that will be dropping on September 1st. Uh, that was a fun discussion. And then uh, we, the theme warriors are still trying to figure out when we're going to record. Hopefully this Thursday or Friday. And I think we probably even forgot what our theme was. <laughs> not <really. laughs> no, not really, not really. 
uh, our theme is basically the main characters are the losers. Uh, so uh, that's going to be fun. I think it's Bad News Bears, Rocky Balboa, Whip It, and for the life of me, I can't think of the other fourth movie. But yeah, we're going to have fun. I do love that stupid roller derby film. Oh I, I, man, I, I love roller derby. It's got it's got a lot of heart in it, but I I kind of I kind of dig it. I just I just love it. A, a coworker of mine is a she she's a, a roller derby gal, and mm. oh you know as a kid watching the Thunderbirds. Oh man, I just loved it. So yeah, we we still have it around here. The the Windy City Rollers is a thing. Oh, we have the Rat City Rollers. Okay. So wow, they're not very creative with names, are they? No, not really. <laughs> uh, Suzanne. Oh, uh, well, NFW is starting to wrap up our Sea Monster summer. We did some shark movies. We did some Sea Monster movies. And we are wrapping up tomorrow night with the three-hour extravaganza, The Beast. Listen to us get really bored talking to each other. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of dead air in that podcast, Suzanne. No, I'm playing. It's, it's uh, another complaint people have. You know, shut the fuck up. It sucks <laughs> we're, we're all, when most of us are watching something we haven't seen, it's like, wait a minute, hold on. That's kind of interesting. And trying to keep the excitement up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, me, myself, this show, and the two Drink Venom commentaries can both be found on legionpodcast.com. Wow, we're, a lot of other great shows are as well. That you'll hear in the the Legion bumper. Um, this will be released Wednesday, and I don't know if you'll get it this week. Maybe next week, depending on how things go. You will hear a brand new "Burning for Springwood" with an excerpt in there where Diane Franklin talks about her experience on uh, the the episode of "The Bride Wore Red" that she's on. But uh, guess what? That's not the whole thing because you'll hear the whole interview where she goes through basically her whole career and she gave us over an hour. I was I was I was highly excited and she was excited to talk to me. Um and I can't wait for you guys to hear because I I think it was a lovely conversation. She's a lovely uh curly haired woman who's good to people and she was good to me. So I hope you guys enjoy that when that comes out. Um next up I, I hate saying what's next up but something could always happen, but it should be our back to school episode with a special guest court psyops. We're going to do the Mark Lester double feature, Class of 1984 and Class of 1999. Two very different films, but they share the same high school, so are they connected? I don't know. i got to do a little research on that and tell you mm. if they're actually connected or not. So you get uh, punks in the first film, and you get robot teachers, including Pam Greer in the second film. So that's a, a, that's a good time. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, anytime with Pam Gurr, it's a good time. Uh, she got a rocket shooting out of her boobies in this movie, though. It's a uh, that's that's funny. Uh, she's a fembot. She's a fembot. <laughs> yes. I will leave it at that. And uh, thank you all for listening. And this is uh, Ben Yorison and Beef Podcast, where if you've got beef, we've got the grinder. We'll see you all next time. Good night. Ciao. I'm a scary gargoyle on a tower 
that you made with plastic power Your rhinestone eyes are like factories far away Where the paralytic dreams that we all seem to keep Drive on engines till they weep with future pixels in factories far away So call the mainland from the beach Your party's now washed up in bleach The waves are rising for this time of year And nobody knows what to do with the heat Under sunshine pylons we'll meet While rain is falling like grindstones from the sky Far away. 